Go ahead and be seated, church. Go ahead and be seated. My name is Chris, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm not going to be preaching this morning, but I get the honor and privilege of introducing our friend and preacher this morning. And uh, before I do that, I just want to let you guys know a little of the backstory before we make this announcement. If you're on Facebook, you might have seen the leak uh, that happened uh, via Gavin's Facebook account and mine. Uh, if you don't have social media, uh, I'm so sorry uh, that you don't know this information, but you will in just a second. But uh, one of the things that happened about six to eight months ago, our church started praying about, um, God, what would be next for us? And we felt the Lord calling us to plant or start a new location or gathering place out in West Omaha. And so we bought this old abandoned high V and it's under construction. And you guys know we're going to start that uh, in January or so. But uh, one of the things that that meant is we also had to wrestle with who's going to preach out there and what's that look like. And uh, we just kind of landed on the fact that we're not going to pipe in the sermon and do the screen thing. We're going to have a real preacher in the room with a real Bible teaching the word of God so they can pray with you and talk to you afterwards. We just felt like that's biblical. So we're going to do that. And uh, Gavin and I got excited about that because it means we get to preach all the time. So Gavin might be in Westo and I might be here, but we also realized like that might just get exhausting if every single week we're rotating and moving around. And so we felt like, God, would you provide another person to help round out this teaching team uh, for Sunday mornings to preach the word of God? And so we started praying about that. We knew that that would be a real uh, need for our church as leadership and preaching and teaching and heralding God's word in our city. And, uh, and by God's grace and providence, uh, I got invited into this little thing down in Texas at a church uh, with about 20 other lead pastors from across the country. And uh, one of the guys that I met there was a guy named Cameron. And Cameron stuck out to me for a couple reasons. One, uh, he's 6'4 and just a ginger. And so, uh, you know, they just always stick out a little bit. And he has an amazing southern accent. Number two, he stuck out because of uh, this rare combination of just incredible giftedness and thoughtfulness. Uh, he is bright, well-spoken, articulate, uh, really loves Jesus Christ. When you get around him, you sense that. Uh, but he's also incredibly humble and fun to be around. There was just lots of chemistry as we talked about 90s rap and songs that really shaped us. And so um, I told Gavin, I came back up here and said, Gavin, I met this guy. I kind of have a bro crush on him, and I stalked him online. It seems like he can preach. Could we invite him up here on a vision trip? And Gavin said yes and kind of helped organize this time with our elders to really interview Cameron. And so if you guys remember, Cameron was here uh, in February of last year and preached a sermon and uh, kind of dated our church, and we uh, pressed into his character, and elders got to get to know him. And by the end of that thing, we just felt like God knitted our hearts together. And uh, in unity, our elders said, this is the guy that we want to call to be a pastor here at City Light and join this kind of teaching team at City Light. And, uh, and so since then, uh, a lot has happened. Uh, this is Cameron, by the way, up on stage. He's the guy with the man beard, the ginger that's really tall. Um, this was him right before he got married. And he was doing that thing where you try to like rebel and grud all your hair because you know when you get married, you'll be domesticated. And that is exactly what has happened. This is like before Brittany and after Brittany. You can see the incredible, he's like a six with a beard and like an eight without it. And so we just, Brittany, thank you for your ministry to him. What a, what a gift you've been already. Did you just judge another man? Yes, I did. I'm so sorry. I'll confess about it. I'll talk to you about that later off stage. But um, so anyways, we're so excited to welcome Cameron Debity. Can you guys welcome him up right now? He's going to be preaching. He's officially a pastor at City Light Church. And um, here's a few things you need to know about Cameron. Is Cameron's uh, more educated than I am? He went to Southern Theological Seminary. I know that's hard to believe, but he knows like Greek and really actually read some really thick books. I kind of skimmed the cliff. Anyway, so he's educated. He's been a pastor for 10 years. He's been a lead pastor for the last couple of years at a church down in Kentucky and uh, has done a great job leading that church, growing that church, pursuing that church in health. And, uh, and also he's a Tennessee Vols fan. And so we need to pray in the kingdom of God would work in a mighty way. And part of this deal is he would get a tattoo of the Huskers on his lower back. And so we are 
We are going to bless that. Thank you. We are going to collect a little love offering for him today. But uh, Cameron, uh, just thank you for saying yes to the Lord. Call, uh, he has clearly called you to be a part of our church for this season. And uh, for you and Brittany to move across the country to join the story that God is writing here, it is a, a tremendous privilege to labor with you, brother. And so let me pray for you right now. God, we thank you uh, for your incredible grace that you call uh, people like me and Gavin Cameron and others just into your work. Can you, I just, we can't believe that you would love us and pursue us, forgive us, empower us by your spirit, and then just allow us to serve your bride, uh, the bride that is Jesus. Christ's church. And so um, thank you for this great gift. Pray that you would just bless Cameron uh, and Brittany during this season of being a part of our family. God, we want to be really a family to them. Welcome them into this city. God, would you use them in this season of their ministry, not just today as he preaches this word. Yes, empower him for that. But God, we just pray that this would be a fun, fruitful season in their marriage and in their life. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome them up one more time. Put your hands together for him. Well, good morning, City Light. Though I'm a Volfin, I tried my best to wear the right color, so that was just for you. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles to John chapter 14. And as Willie said, we're back in the Gospel of John, and we'll be looking at the verses we just read, verses 1 through 14. And as you're turning there, let me just say that it thrills me to be able to finally say that I'm officially one of your pastors now. Uh, We feel so honored. Uh, we're so grateful to be here. We, we came uh, for that vision trip back in February, and we came back despite the blanket of snow and the frigid wind chill we experienced here. I'm not used to that as a southern man, but we loved you and we wanted to be with you, and we felt called to serve alongside you. Now, as always, I want any time I preach to be about Jesus, but since I am new, I do need to start with three fast facts about myself. So number one, since the last time you saw me, I did marry this lovely woman here in front of me. Uh, My wife's name is Brittany, there in the mint or sea foam or whatever you call that. And I have learned since then that she really is my better half. She's better looking, she smells better, she's much sweeter than I am, she's bright and bubbly, she loves kids and monogrammed clothing. I mean, she's the bomb, basically. I'm thankful that God sent her to me. And then number two, you need to know that I am a bona fide southern man. I cannot hide the red that is on my neck. I grew up in the mountains of East Tennessee and spent the last decade pastoring in Kentucky. And I'm the grandson of a logger, a man who cut trees for a living. So so the outdoors are in my blood. And though he is a bro country artist, I'm over Johnny Cash man, Luke Bryan uh, aptly described my life when he sang hunting and fishing and loving every day, because that's the prayer that this country boy prays. I've got to be honest and upfront about that. And then number three, I love Christ, His church, and His Word. I grew up in a loving single-parent home, and my mom and I went to church some, but the gospel didn't sink in for me until I was in college. And to that point, I was doing everything in my power to to rise above poverty through academics and athletics. I wanted to do better than than the the home I grew up in. But then suddenly Jesus intervened, and he helped me to see that was all a dead-end street because worth is found in, in no one else except for him. And so he spoke to me through his word, and he loved me through a church, through people like you, and he helped me to see that, that my worth is found in Christ alone. And then very surprisingly, after all of that, 
He, real, he revealed to me that I was to give my life to the proclamation of His Word. And that's why I'm standing in front of you this morning. So now it's my joy today to open this Word and to show you the same Jesus that sought and saved me. So this morning I want to preach a message called, I'll Be Back. Now when we hear that phrase, our minds probably go to, to another man, the Terminator, But my prayer is that our minds from this day forward will go back to our Savior when we hear that phrase. Now to catch us up just a little bit, our passage today is part of a section of the Gospel of John known as the Farewell Discourse. And so after Christ makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he gathers his disciples in an upper room and he has an intimate conversation with them. He's preparing them for his departure. His time with them, sadly, is coming to a close, and the cross is fast approaching. So he reveals in that moment what's expected of them, and he tells them what's promised to him. But the notion that Christ will soon be gone doesn't sit too well with the disciples. And before we come down too hard on them, remember that they're people just like us. They were still in process. And at this point, they're still trying to figure out exactly what Jesus meant when he says that he was the Messiah. At the end of chapter 13, when Jesus reveals that he will soon be leaving and they can't come with him right away, old Peter has a minor freakout moment. And he asks this angst-filled question in verse 36. He says, Lord, where are you going? And knowing old Peter like we do, in his ignorance and in his passion, he vows to go with him and to even lay his life down for him. And church, I believe what Peter's expressing here is an emotion that we've probably all experienced at some point in our lives. Peter is struggling with the anxiety that accompanies abandonment. Just think about it. To this point... Nobody had loved this ragtag band of men like Jesus had. They were the B team. They were the JV squad. They were overlooked by all of the famous, the famous rabbis. And yet Jesus, the very Son of God, he took a special, a special interest in them. He loved them. He invested his life in them. He nourished them physically and spiritually. And he promised them a future in the kingdom. And with the triumphal entry, Peter thought that that day was now. But now he's hearing from his Messiah that he's leaving. Understand that Peter's head is spinning in this moment. And church, I say to you that we too are left confused. We're filled with anxiety when the people that we love the most leave us. I'm thinking about coaches that move on to different teams. When best friends move away. When loved ones pass away, maybe you lost somebody dear to you this year. When spouses break covenant promises and walk away, and when parents abandon their kids, it really hurts when people that we love leave us and they never come back. And it leaves us reeling, wondering how we're going to make it through the days ahead. But here's the glorious hope I can offer you from today's passage as we all try to figure out how to deal with the fallout that comes when promises are made and broken. Here's the big idea if you're taking notes. Jesus always keeps his promises. If we trust in him, he will come back for us. And he also pledges to care for us in the meantime. How many people here this morning know that Jesus is the great promise maker? 
He's also the promise keeper. Every single word that he speaks is true and trustworthy. Every promise he makes can be taken to the bank. And if you trust your life to him, he'll come back for you, and he will continually care for you in the meantime. So if you're here today and you're brokenhearted, maybe you came into this place in need of a comforting word, well, my prayer is that the following three truths would comfort you indeed. So number one, Jesus is preparing a place for us, and he promises to come back for us. That's number one. Notice verses 1 through 4. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be, and you know the way to where I am going." And so understanding that his disciples are distraught, Christ offers here some much-needed words of consolation. So in verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You know, when he uses this term, it's a picturesque word that carries this idea. Do not let your heart shudder. Church, don't let your heart shake. It's interesting, it's the same exact word used to describe the emotions of Jesus when Judas went astray. Christ's heart shook. And I wonder this morning, has your heart ever shuddered as you've had to deal with the adverse circumstances that life brings? But thankfully, Jesus offers us here the solution for a shaky heart. And the solution is simple. It's just to trust. Jesus literally says in verse 1, Keep on believing in God. Keep on believing in me also. You know, the faith of the disciples, it was imperfect, but they had a real faith in their sovereign God, the God of Israel. And, and they were trusting in Jesus as well. Remember, they had left everything to follow him. Family, vocation, security, comfort. And Jesus had not led them astray to this point. So here Jesus is linking himself with the Heavenly Father as an appropriate and as a continued object of faith. And in essence, he says to them, don't quit on me now. Keep on trusting. Keep on believing just as you, you have done up to this point. And church, the reason that they should trust or keep trusting is he's going away for a reason. Uh, how many people here this morning can testify to the fact that every single decision Jesus makes is for the glory of the Heavenly Father, but it's also for the good of you, his children? So here Christ is not abandoning them. Instead, he's going away to prepare a place for them so that they can be with him forever. I love verse 2. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. Now, some older Bible translations say what? In my Father's house are many mansions. And God knows that Bill and Gloria Gaither have been singing about mansions and glory for a good 50 years now. But I don't know about you... When I get to heaven, I don't want to live in a separate house apart from God. I don't want to live down the way. I want to spend forever in as close proximity to Him as possible. And the good news from this text is we get to do just that. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus is preparing us a room, or literally a dwelling place, in the house of God. 
And even in this moment, as I'm preaching to you today, he is preparing that place for us, ensuring that it's perfectly suited to us. And then someday, when the preparations are finished, Jesus says, I will come again and take you into myself, that where I am, you may be also. You've probably heard that Pastor Chris is building a new house. And the great thing about building a new house is you get to build it to your exact specifications. And so Chris told me this morning that he's going to install a recording studio so he can cover 90s rap songs in his spare time. (laughs) I am kidding about that. But when he and Kristen get their stuff moved in, a really important step in the process will be to go back and get their kids. I mean, understand that they're not just going to leave them to live on their own in their old house, nor will he build them separate little houses on his property. I mean, baby Jude's not going to have some little baby house down the way and only come over for milk on Fridays. It's not going to work that way. No, no, the kids, they'll be welcomed into the father's house in rooms perfectly suited for them. And knowing Pax the way I do, he would probably have a lot of Huskers paraphernalia on his walls. And knowing Lucy the way I do, she'll likely have a potato chip bar installed in her room. And I don't know what little kids like Jude want, maybe a bunch of baby chew toys or whatever, but it's going to be a good place. And most significantly of all, the family will enjoy a house perfectly suited for them. And the kids will experience the peace, the protection, the blessings, and joy that comes with being under the same roof as a loving and present Heavenly Father. And church, can I just say to you today that Jesus, in a much greater way, is preparing a place for us, perfectly suited for us in the Father's house. And He promises to come back for His kids. And if you trust in Him, someday you'll be ushered into His very presence, And forevermore, you'll know his perfect peace, love, and protection. Now, as I look around here this morning, I know a lot of us here are relatively young, and we don't have maybe that many aches and pains, and maybe we don't long for heaven like the older generation does. And many of us enjoy a really good quality of living here, so we're not in a big rush to get there. But I promise you, and some of you could testify to this, There's a day coming when strength will fade, and heartache and pain will multiply. I mean, life is good in this world. We get a measure of the abundant life in the here and now, but this life takes its toll. And if we're to be completely honest with ourselves, even on our very best days here, we are never completely satisfied. I mean, as much as I love being a newlywed, Brittany and I love marriage, We've discovered already that we get on each other's nerves on occasion. Uh, I can never remember to put the toilet seat down. And she reminds me that every time she goes back into the bathroom. And as much as I love to be outside in the great outdoors, there's such a thing as deer ticks and chiggers and poison ivy, and they all serve as reminders that the earth is cursed by sin. Church, we will never experience true paradise in this earthly existence. That's been my experience. And in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, he writes the following. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation 
is that I was made for another world. And the glorious news is, if you trust in Christ, and someday He'll come back for us, and He will usher us into that glorious, perfect other world. And so City Light, are you here this morning? And are you longing for a home that's free from conflict and drama? Are you hungry for uninterrupted intimacy with God? Do you want to live in a beautiful and breathtaking world, but yet a world that's free from the defects of sin? Well, if this describes you, the good news from this text is, at this very moment, Jesus is preparing that exact kind of place for you. So now, here's the second encouraging truth for troubled hearts. You're taking notes, number two. Jesus keeps the promises that he makes. Jesus keeps every promise that he makes. And this comes from verses 5 through 11. And understand, this is really good news because we live in a really flaky world. It's hard to know whom to trust. People continually disappoint us. And if we're honest, some of us, like Thomas, are simply skeptical by nature. And I love the way that D.A. Carson describes Thomas. He says, Thomas appears in the fourth gospel as a loyal, even a courageous disciple, but one who is liberally endowed with misapprehensions and doubts. Does that describe you? If I were to be honest, it describes me sometimes. A man trying to be faithful to God, but if I'm honest, lots of doubts swirl in my heart on occasion. And so Jesus assures the disciples that they know the way to where he's going. But, but notice Thomas interjects in verse 5, and he says, Well, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus demonstrates to Thomas and to us that he is completely trustworthy. And I love verse 6. Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Understand that what Christ is doing here is he is boldly affirming that he fulfills all three offices that God provides for his covenant people. And what I mean by that is that Jesus is boldly proclaiming that he is the prophet, he is the priest, and he is the king. And so as prophet, Jesus is the truth of the Father. He is the very Word of God made flesh. As priest, Jesus is the way to the Father. He is both the sacrifice for our sins, and he continues to serve as the mediator of the new covenant. And as king, Jesus gives us spiritual life. He's the sovereign giver of life. Again, he gives us abundant life now, but he also gives us eternal life. So Jesus fulfills all three offices, and then it amps up another notch in verse 7. And in verse 7, we learn that he is also co-equal with God. So what John's trying to communicate here to us today is, Jesus is supremely trustworthy. You can take him at his word. And then based on this understanding, it becomes clear that Jesus alone is uniquely qualified to serve as the Savior of humanity. And so why is it that salvation is found in no one else, no other God? Why is it that no other pathway can get you to God 
besides Jesus, as verse 6 says. Well, it's not that God's trying to be elusive or closed off. It's simply that Christ is the only one who's able to serve as our Savior. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus alone is truth in the flesh. He alone lived the perfect life that we could never live. And Jesus alone died the death that we deserve to die, bearing the sins of humanity and absorbing the wrath of God on the cross. No one else could have made a sacrifice like that for us. God required perfection. And Jesus alone is the spotless lamb. And most spectacularly of all, he alone rose from the grave. And by doing so, he guarantees for us a future resurrection and eternal life with him if we trust in him. Now now pause for a moment and consider this. You would think this revelation would be enough and that now, from this day forward, the disciples would trust Jesus. But, but notice Philip's interjection in verse 8. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. So what Philip is doing here, he's asking for a, an immediate display of God himself so that he can believe Jesus. And then Jesus asks Philip a question that contains a twinge of sadness in verse 9. It's a question I ask Brittany a lot when we're out eating, and she offers me bites of salad, knowing I don't like raw veggies. Have I been with you so long? And yet, you still do not know me, Brittany. And Jesus says something, Philip, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me? And so the reality is, even those people closest to Jesus, they're still experiencing spiritual blindness. So Christ explains in verses 9 through 11 that the authoritative teaching they heard from him. Remember, Christ taught as one like they had never heard. He carried authority unlike the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. And they saw miracle after miracle. Remember in John, the water to the wine, the feeding of the 5,000. He would go and raise people, Lazarus from the dead. All of that points to the great revelation, this great revelation that anybody who has seen Jesus, has also seen the Father. And so in essence, Jesus is saying to Philip, believe in what I've said. My words are trustworthy and true. Or at the very least, believe on me based on the evidence of the miracles you have experienced. Because the only logical explanation for what you've seen, what you've heard, is that I and the Father are one. You know, back in Tennessee... When you're a young man and you're being taught to deer hunt, you progress through what I call several levels of redneck mentoring. And so when my uncle first took me hunting, the process was he stayed right by my side in the woods, weapon in my hand, making sure that I didn't shoot a small child or a cow or anything like that. And then a year or two later in the process, he put me in my own stand But he only went about 100 yards away to still make sure he could see me, to make sure I didn't do anything foolish. But there eventually came a day when he dropped me off at a tree to hunt by myself. And he went away for the entire day to hunt himself. And he told me that he would be back to pick me up at my tree at dark, and I had strict instructions to not move until my Uncle Roger came back. Well, understand that when you're 10, 11, 12... Sitting alone in the woods by yourself in the dark, that's a pretty big deal. And the first time I hunted alone when darkness fell, I I was for sure that Uncle Roger had forgotten about me. 
The scary noises fired up. I was sure Sasquatch was coming in any second to eat me. I had visions of being lost in the woods for days and starving to death. And then suddenly my heart filled with hope when I saw a flashlight flicker. And the flashlight was in the hand of old Uncle Roger. And just like he said he would, he came and picked me up just after dark. And in subsequent days, those sits alone got easier and easier because Roger proved that I could trust in him. You know, I trusted in him because he loved me. I was his flesh and blood, his nephew, and I knew he wouldn't leave me alone to be eaten by a pack of wolves. And I also trusted in him because his actions proved time and time again that he would not leave me. Each evening he came for me, just as he said he would. And so, City Light, I say to you, we can trust the promises of Jesus because of who he is. He is God, and he loves each of us. And he proved his love for us through his teaching, through his miracles, but most significantly of all, through his atoning work on the cross. Though every single person in your life might have let you down and turned their back on you, you can count on Jesus, and you can hold him to every word that he ever spoke. So Jesus is preparing a place for us. He will come back for us. He's a God who keeps his promises. And then here's encouraging truth number three, if you're taking notes. Number three, we have work to do while we wait. We have work to do in the meantime. We are not like cults that just sit around and drink Kool-Aid together and wait for the eastern sky and Jesus to come. We've got work to do. You know, earlier in the sermon I said that Jesus cares for us continually. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, Gavin's preaching next week, and I don't want to steal too much of his thunder, but the discussion's going to shift toward the role of the Holy Spirit. And besides the fact that he was preparing a place for them, another reason that Christ's departure was beneficial for the disciples is it meant the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Great Comforter, would soon come. And so a day is fast approaching when Christ will no longer be limited by his humanness. And so instead of being available in an intimate way only to his inner circle, his inner circle will soon expand to include anybody who trusts in him. Just think about how, how profound this is. The Holy Spirit will soon come and indwell each believer. The glorious reality is when we trust in Christ, he himself comes to us through the Spirit, and he takes residence up in our hearts. And we know this to be the case through life experience. With his residency comes comfort, the peace that surpasses all understanding. But the Holy Spirit also equips us for the great mission that God has called us to, namely, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So another really important way that God cares for his children is this. He allows us the opportunity to leverage our short lives in significant ways for the kingdom of God before he returns. What I'm saying is Jesus gives us purpose. He gives us reason to get out of bed every day. In verse 12, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, the works are greater, not in the sense that they will be more amazing. Maybe so, but it's hard to top 
walking on water, feeding thousands of people with meager means, though I do believe miracles still happen, rather what I believe John's getting at here, what Christ is getting at here is the works will be greater in their worldwide scope. Just think about it. The works of the disciples would go on to mean that they would literally turn the world upside down for Jesus. And since that day, the, the, the works of his disciples have resulted in millions upon millions of lives transformed. People crossing over from death to life. Literally entire cultures and cities and societies have been changed by the gospel of Jesus. And so in addition to being witnesses for him, another key work that God calls us into is the work of prayer. And we see this in verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, we have to understand this does not mean that God is a cosmic genie, and anything we ask him for, as long as we tack on the name of Jesus, that he'll give us that. Understand, City Light is not a church that propagates the prosperity gospel. We don't have preachers with curly mullets and veneers. We try to bring you the real deal when we preach on Sundays. Uh, But praying in his name does mean that we pray in a way that is consistent with his character and will. It means that we offer prayers in accordance with what the name of Christ stands for. It means that we don't prioritize selfish longings, but we ask God for things that will result in increased glory for Jesus. So if you spend your time praying for the Lexus or the Labradoodle, I don't know, maybe God will give you that, maybe not. My wife is praying hard for that second thing that I just mentioned there. On the other hand, will God be faithful to answer the prayers of this church for more laborers to be raised up? And will God be faithful to answer the prayers of this church for a multiplication, a continued multiplication of disciples and churches in this city and beyond? And the answer is a resounding yes. Because those kind of prayers are prayed in perfect accord with God's revealed will in Scripture. And understand, the more churches planted, the more disciples multiplied, that means the more glory that King Jesus receives. Church, it's a really humbling reality. It's real mysterious. But God works through the humble prayers of His people to further His will in this world. You know, just as Jesus had to have hard conversations with his disciples and friends before his departure, Brittany and I have had to have dozens of similar conversations with our disciples and friends as we let our church know back in Kentucky that we were leaving them to come here to serve you. And make no mistake, we're really excited about being here. We're thrilled and humbled that you would call me as one of your pastors. But it has been gut-wrenching to have some of those other conversations. And maybe the conversation I dreaded the most was informing my South Asian pastor and his family about our decision to leave. So the church back in Louisville, they're in the midst of a a beautifully diverse community. There are literally thousands of Indians and residents around the church, and we have a pastor specially pointed to reaching that people group. And so we had a really emotional dinner with them, and We said our goodbyes, 
And then the next day, Prasad sent Brittany and I this text. He said, Pastor Cameron and Brittany, as a family, we are still trying to recover after your announcement shook our entire existence. Since we came to America almost 10 years ago, nobody has loved on us and welcomed us and cared for us like you did and are still doing. You have taken care of us personally like a father or a brother does. You have always been so fiercely protective of us, fighting for us, and we can never repay what you have done for us. Now, of course, Prasad has blessed us and released us, but in this moment, he expressed that the emotion that he is feeling is that he feels like a spiritual orphan. And so here's the sad reality. Though I will always love them and pray for them and serve them the best I can, after September 22nd, I won't be back in a really significant way. I'll be here with you. And the reality is, whether it be for righteous reasons or sinful reasons, there will be people in your life that you desperately love, that you want to keep around forever, that will go on to leave you. It's going to hurt really bad, and you're going to feel abandoned. But here's the hope I can leave with you this morning. There is one and only one person who promises to never, ever leave you nor forsake you. And his name is Jesus. And he even empathizes with you in your weakness because he too knows what it's like to be forsaken. For his heavenly father forsook him on the cross so that we could be forgiven. As Jesus bore the sins of humanity and absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf, he experienced what's known as cosmic abandonment. But church, he experienced that abandonment for you so that you could be welcomed in forever. And all you have to do to be brought in is to turn and trust. Turn from your sins and in your heart throw yourself at the mercy of your Savior. And I promise you, He'll receive that prayer. He'll receive that heart cry and He will save you. And He's got an, a secure and an eternal dwelling place prepared for you. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And in a church this size, it's inevitable that we have all felt the sting of goodbye. Many of us have known well what it means to be abandoned. But Father, I'm just so grateful that you're the one constant in an ever-changing existence. And this morning, God, would you encourage us through your Spirit? Would you help us to see that you've got great things in store for us? And may we leave rejoicing that we get to spend forever in God's house rejoicing together in your presence. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.